Ah, it's good to be back with you here in person and preaching today and teaching today. It's great to have those of you who are joining online to join in as well. Maybe you're staying a little bit drier. Uh, it's been great to be together in worship. What a great time of worship. Let's give another round of applause for our worship team and just the way they lead us each and every week in such powerful moments of worship. And I'm looking forward to Thursday night already for our uh, hour-long worship time here in the evening. Just come on back in midweek, and I know you'll be encouraged. Well, today we're continuing our series, Summer on the Mountain. We took a little bit of a break last week for 4th of July. Uh, thank you for the warm welcome that you gave my, my dad and my family here and just sharing his story. I know that was uh, impacting for many of you, and so just great to, um, just great to have that opportunity. And also, I'm so, so thankful for our team here that uh, fills in in weeks where I'm, I'm gone or just preaches on, on various Sundays. Uh, thankful for, for Pastor Kyle and for Pastor Diane for doing a great job uh, sharing the word of God with us. Let's give them uh, with us. Let's give them a, a hand as well. Well, I wanted to do a little bit of uh, field research, and so I had to take a vacation out west since we are talking about summer on the mountains and um, wanted to get away to the mountains and was able to do that with my family this last week, uh, or not this past week, but a couple weeks ago. And we did the great family out west vacation, road trip, right? That's part of the American way is we do some road trips. And so we got to do that. And I thought um, there's nothing that you would love more than to see my family vacation pictures, <laughs> right? Isn't that great when somebody says, you wanna see pictures from my vacation? We're more like, no, just tell us about it, all right. But I do have a couple of pictures because it is summer on the mountain, so let's see what we got here. We got to see some really cool things. We got to go all the way out west to, the, uh, to Yellowstone, and that was at Yellowstone. That was kind of an unexpected view. This was on top of Mount Bunsen, and doesn't she just look like a great camper? That's a, a Naya with uh, making it up to the top of Mount Bunsen. Then we went to the Grand Tetons for the first time. I mean, it was like, you cannot take a bad picture. This was shot on my iPhone, no filter. Um, just amazing on the morning, getting up kind of early in the morning. What else we got on here? Um, yeah, another just hike. It's like sort of like, you know, sound of music right there, right? Get that vibe a little bit. Um, the trail. And, of course, you have to have our family picture there, me and my dorky hat and, you know, doing the dad thing. But it was summer on the mountain. You can take those off now. That's good. Uh, but we had a really nice time. <laughs> We had a great time together, and there is something renewing about being on the mountain, about getting out in nature and just seeing God's creation and the beauty that's there, the fresh air, and just seeing you know, creation in the morning. We got up very early many mornings, and we're out there at like 6 o'clock, 6.30 in the morning already, and that's when you see the animals out, and there's just something renewing about that. And we're in this series called Summer on the Mountain because we're spending time with Jesus on the mountain. We're spending time with him as he taught his most well-known sermon, the Sermon on the Mount where he taught us people and people that came and listened, he taught them these amazing truths of the kingdom. And so what we're doing in the summer is we're taking time to spend time with Jesus, figuratively going to the mountain and spending time and saying, Jesus, pour into us, help us understand this kingdom that you're talking about, that it works differently in this world, and how could we learn from that? How can we grow from that? And so that's what we're talking about. And what was interesting was also part of the reason for our Out West trip is we connected it to the Church of God Convention in Denver. Uh, Meadow Park is part of the Church of God, Anderson, Indiana, headquarters in Anderson, Indiana. We're a movement of churches, we're a tribe of churches, voluntary in relationship with one another to do more for the kingdom together than we can alone. And every two years, the church gathers in a different major city around the country. This year, it was in Denver. And there's also a pastor's general assembly where the pastors in the Church of God come together to hear about different things happening in the movement, different reports and updates. We, we vote on different things. And so that was the last part of our, our trip. And that part of the trip as well it was a convention, a conference with great speakers, excellent worship. And the theme was hunger and thirst. And so if you've been a part of the series from the beginning, you recognize those words hunger and thirst from Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, 
where Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so the theme talked about justice and, and how do we do good in this world and how do we make a difference? And not just only make disciples, which is important, but disciples that impact the world, that change the community around us. And so as I thought about that and I thought about our church and I just was really uh, proud of our church, proud of Meadow Park and the things that we do to make a difference in this community, that I know that if our doors were shut, the community would miss the presence of Meadow Park. When I think about the ministries that we have here, I think about the Hispanic church that meets here on Sunday nights, Iglesia Shalom, they're here every Sunday night. We're restarting our English conversation partners that just helps people new to the community, new to our country, learning the language. When I think about our children's center that, that impacts families every day of the week, the support groups that meet here each and every day throughout the week and, and helping people and, and the doors that are open, so many different ways that we live love locally, our partners that we, that we share uh, resources with and, and serve and raise money for and international partners. But it also inspired me to, to do more and to be more bold in how we reach our community and what else can we do? How can we expand on those things because it's important to be about justice and doing good in this world. And actually that leads us into what we're gonna talk about today. Why do we do good? Why do we do good? When we think about causes, why do we do good? And, and so today in part five, we're gonna be in Matthew chapter six. I'm gonna talk about pursuing personal blessing versus public reward. When we do good, what are we going after? Are we looking for reward? What kind of public reward or personal blessing? Why do we do good? Now there's so many different causes in our world to get behind, isn't there? feel like we're more aware of that than ever, right? Causes are everywhere, and everyone has a symbol and a sticker and a sign and an abbreviation, right? And it's all over, and we, we update our social media profiles with like a different sticker, or we post things. Maybe you have bumper stickers on your car, maybe you've got a sign in your yard. And, and we wanna let people know these are things either that we believe in or we think are important. But what happens, and, and maybe you've heard this term as well, have you heard of the term virtue signaling? Virtue signaling, if you haven't heard of it, virtue signaling is this, a public expression of a moral viewpoint with the intent of communicating one's own good character. So let that sink in. It's not just you're sharing something because you maybe fully believe in it or whatnot, but you just don't want people to see you as racist, sexist, homophobic, xenophobic, whatever, so I just wanna let people know I'm a good person or, or, and so I'm gonna just do the things that I think will play well publicly and will reflect positively back on me. Right, so people get behind causes and they share different things because I want people to, to think I'm a good person. I want people to think I'm, you know, and I wanna be respected, I wanna be admired, I, I wanna look like I'm doing the right thing. And there's pressure in the church, if you've grown up in the church, or maybe been in the church, that maybe sometimes we get in this place and say, well, I don't want people to know how messed up my life really is, so I'm gonna make sure that I, that I sing and worship or that I, that I give or that I try to do the right things and attend different events or act a certain way but maybe it's not really reflecting what's really happening on the inside. That's another way of virtue signaling in, in, in these ways. And it's about trying to, to, maybe you're doing good and doing the right things, but what is the motive, what's behind that? One of the biggest examples, some say there was a lot of virtue signaling was with the uh, ALS uh, ice bucket challenge. Remember that some years ago, right? All the ice being dumped over top and, and a, a record amount of money was raised, for sure, globally, for that event. But they're saying virtual signaling was a lot like when some, many people would do the ice bucket challenge but didn't really care about ALS or didn't at least you know, do anything to support it financially or give to the cause, but somehow by doing it and putting it on social media, you were one of the group that was a part of it, right? So how do we go deeper though and how do we say, you know, we're not just acting publicly, 
Well, we actually have some private motivation behind that. There's something behind us that we really wanna do. If most of us did half as much privately as we pontificate publicly, how much more would actually get done in this world? I mean, think about that in our nation as well. I mean, of all the loud, blaring voices for every cause and every issue and all the things, you'd think so much more could get done. But maybe it's because we spend a lot of time publicly saying things, doing things, or at least acting a certain way, but privately, there isn't that foundation that's there. So we're gonna join Jesus on the mountain, and we're gonna hear him address the issue of virtue signaling. (laughs) It wasn't called that back then, but he's gonna talk about why we do good and why do, what's behind the motive? What's the motive behind why we do what we do? So let's uh, jump into that. We're gonna be looking at Matthew chapter six, and um, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along, or just listen. We're not gonna have the scripture up on the screen, because when Jesus was teaching on the mountainside, people just listened. There wasn't PowerPoint, there wasn't you know, presentation, there wasn't you know, literature in front of them, it was just listening to Jesus teach. So I wanna read this next section to you and just hear the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter six, beginning at verse one. We're gathered on the mountainside. We have umbrellas, it's not raining on us, but we are hearing the word of Jesus. Watch out, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to someone in need, uh, for you, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to somebody, when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. Now, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need. And forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive you your sins. And when you fast, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face, then no one will notice that you are fasting, except your father who knows what you do in private, and your father who sees everything will reward you. So let's spend some time with Jesus unpacking this, and let's try to get some understanding. What's Jesus talking about, and and how do we deal with these opportunities in our life, and 
and why we do the good that we do. So he begins here in, in Matthew 6, verse 1. It's really the verse that sets up the rest of these three examples about, about giving and prayer and fasting. So let's look at Matthew 6, verse 1. He says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Watch out. Why watch out? Because he knows this is a trap we fall into. He knows this is something. Be careful. This is so easy to fall into, this trap, to do this. So be careful. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. But maybe you're astute right now and you're thinking, wait a second, back in Matthew 5, just a couple of verses earlier as Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before men for all to see your good deeds. Wait a second. Are we supposed to light our lamp and put it on a hill and let everyone see our good deeds, or am I supposed to not let anyone see the good deeds that I'm doing privately? Is Jesus contradicting himself here? What's going on? The issue is the motive. He says, don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. You see, motive gets at the why behind the what. The motive, you can do the same thing, but why you do it could be very different. Why do you do good? And the reality is, many of us are motivated to do good by the WIFM principle. W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? We do good, but at the same time, we want to know, what's in it for me? Because it's nice to be admired, right? It's nice to be respected. It's nice for people to think that we're generous or held in high esteem, you know, that we get noticed. Is there anything wrong with, with being admired? No, there's nothing wrong with being admired, but if that's the motivation, is that the goal, is that what I want? I want to know how other people see me. And Jesus says, the second that you do it for that reason, he said, you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. There's a consequence. It's almost not fair. Jesus says, if you do it for that, then you're gonna lose the reward from your heavenly Father. Listen, a heart motivated by public praise loses private blessing. A heart motivated by public praise loses private blessing or personal blessing that comes from God. And it's like this inverse proportion. The more you seek it out there, the less you're gonna get it in here, the less you're gonna receive it from your heavenly Father because the focus, the focus changes. It's now about us, it's about our ego. But now back to what Jesus said at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, let your good deeds shine out for all to see. It wasn't a period there, but after that was, so that they may praise your Father in heaven. So he's not contradicting himself. He says, if you're gonna let your good deeds shine out for all to see, it's to bring glory to God. And when you do your good deeds privately, don't do it to be admired by others. So this is the framework for the whole piece that he gives us here is doing things for the right reason. And then he says, your father will reward you. But you know what? He never says what that reward will be. He never explains, here's how the reward will come. Here's what it's gonna be. So we're left to kind of figure that out on our own. What is that reward? Maybe think about that for a little bit. What is the reward that we get? So Jesus frames this in, he just says, look, you do it publicly, you're gonna lose the private blessing. Now let me give you three examples. The first is this, the first is giving. He says, when you give to someone in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, Matthew 6, 2, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. You know, here I go, I'm going to do a good deed publicly, I'm going to give this amount, or I'm gonna bless somebody, or look how I'm helping them, right? Maybe Jesus is exaggerating. Maybe some people actually did that. Maybe the Pharisees were listening. Those were the teachers of religious law and the leaders that, that tried to do everything just right. And it seems that maybe they were drawing attention to some of their acts of charity and maybe they were watching right there and Jesus was sort of like, don't do your good deeds publicly. Like, you know, I'm not gonna mention any names, but it rhymes with heresy. And, um, 
You know, but he said, Exodus Charity, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. So just, and just the parallelism here between all three of these examples, every one of them follows an exact same parallel if you, if you outline it, but it begins, when you give to somebody. Do you notice he didn't say, if you give to somebody. When you give to somebody in need. He didn't say, if you pray. He says, when you pray. He didn't say, if you fast. He says, when you fast. There's an assumption there. There's a, there's a foundation there that this is what people of faith do. This is what people who, who follow God, this is what they do. They give, they pray, they fast. So it's a matter of not if we should do it. I'm not here to convince you that you should do it. I'm assuming we do that. We give to people in need. We pray, we fast. So how should we do that? Jesus is telling us how. But he's saying, first of all, don't do it as the hypocrites do. Now, we hear hypocrites, and that's a harsh word, right? If you've ever been called a hypocrite, or you call someone a hypocrite, or you say that, that's like, that's got a bite to it. I mean, that gets at the heart of, of character. Of, you're saying the outward does not match the inward. And that word in, in, in the Greek wasn't, I don't know if it had the same connotations. I wasn't around back then, but the word actually meant actor. It's kind of like saying somebody, oh, don't be so Hollywood, or don't be acting like that. Like, you've seen the TV commercials, you know, I'm not a real actor, but I play one on TV, all right? I'm not a real actor, I'm not, I mean, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not a real doctor, but I can pretend to be one in those settings. You're, but he's not really a doctor, you wouldn't seek that person out in a medical emergency because they played one on TV. And so what Jesus is saying, don't do as the hypocrites do, those that, that pretend, they're doing good or they're at least proclaiming it, but it doesn't match what's going on in the inside. They're trying to call attention to their acts of charity. They're announcing it, they're, they're making public to, to see, to be noticed. Because you know what? You can't be admired publicly if no one knows what great things you have done, right? I mean, why would we do all these great things and nobody knows about it? I mean, don't we want people to know how good we are and the things we're doing and, and what we're involved in? We want people to know we're good people. But what's in it? Why do we do it? There's been a lot of studies on generosity, and I researched a few of them, and it's interesting that maybe really comes as no surprise, but when people are watching, when there are eyes on us as we do acts of charity, do you think our giving goes up or down? <laughs> Come on, answer, obvious, I know. It goes up! <laughs> when people are watching what we do, it goes up. They did this little research study at a, at a museum, and there was, they put a donation box out, and it said, uh, we, we, appreciate, you know, we appreciate your donations. That was the phrase, something like that. And they tried four different images above that phrase different images of, of people or a slogan or a logo, but the image that generated the most, uh, the other images didn't generate any additional um, average giving, but the one that gave more, uh, yielded more giving was just a set of, a picture of a set of eyes, like this part of eyes over that phrase, we appreciate your charity, and the giving went up. Even virtual eyes, even not even real eyes, or maybe, let's put it in real life context, you're in the grocery line, and uh, the, the cashier says, you know, would you like to round up or would you like to give a little extra to charity? If nobody's around and maybe you've already given, it's like, no, I'm good. <laughs> or next time or not this time, maybe, may, or maybe you'd give. But what about having some people around you? Or what if you're dating and your date is standing behind you in line? Oh yes, of course I'd like to give. Round it up to $5 more, right? When eyes are around, we want, to, we want people to see us as generous. We wanna be known as generous, and so we have to really cut through and go, what is our motive, and how will we give even if nobody's watching? How public is it? You know, the, one of the great, the, the biggest donation that on record that, that I could find was just recently given by Mr. Jeff Bezos, well known to all of us from Amazon fame. 
His donation was $10 billion to help global warming. $10 billion. First of all, why do we know about this? You know, obviously it was publicized, but just to put that in context, if you wanna know, that's like giving $1 million 10,000 times. That's what, that's what $10 billion is, right? Big donation, and we go, ooh, ah, wow. Or one of our best public examples of giving, and it's been years and years ago, but we still love to do it, and you get a car, and you get a car, and you at home, you're watching, you get a car, Oprah, right? We love to see public generosity, and we see some of those things, and we admire those people for that. Now, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. I don't know their motives, and maybe there's very pure motives, but the idea that we have to come back to is saying, why do we do what we do? Jesus says, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. What is this reward that they're getting? <laughs> wow, and admiration and praise, and, and, and again, I'm not saying that we sh you know, there aren't reasons sometimes to, to make a donation public, to encourage others to give, to draw attention to causes. Again, I'm getting back at, though, the motivation. What's really behind the scenes? What reward? If the reward is just public, right? Public praise, you can put it this way, public praise is an exhausting, endless, and ultimately empty pursuit. It never leads to inner peace and satisfaction. When you're looking to get it from out here, we rob it from in here. And God says, you're not gonna find it in that way. It has to begin in here. So, as, as throughout this entire Sermon on the Mount, it's an upside down kingdom. Jesus says, in the world, it's this way. You do good things, let people know, because then you'll get admiration and more respect and who knows what. But in the kingdom of God, let's turn it upside down. It's going to be different. He says, but when you give, Matthew 6, 3 and 4, but when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. And when you give, don't let your left hand see what your right hand is doing. What does he mean, right? Give so... Maybe you don't even really know, <laughs> that you don't even really see. If you don't, you know, if you're keeping your left and right hand apart, then maybe others don't see what you're doing and, and who you're giving to. I think back to when I was, I think I was in Bible school and I was a young uh, pastor preparing for ministry and I would, was at, 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 a, at a church in, in Switzerland where my dad pastored in Zurich and I'd preach that morning and, uh, and it wasn't just a one-time occasion, but every once in a while, um, I'd come up, at, you know, after church, this old lady would, would come up to me and she'd just wanna shake my hand and she'd came up to me, took my hands and, and held my hands and the exchange happened. The tightly wadded up $20 or 20 francs, in this case, Swiss francs, in that hand. And just like, you know, nobody knows, nobody sees, not for show. One of those little examples and it's like, what did that mean that, to me? That meant a lot. That was so awesome, that was so encouraging, and she didn't do it for anyone's recognition or anyone's praise. I also think about um, my best friend's dad growing up. Um, I worked for him for doing construction. He had his own business and had a pretty good business doing that, and even in his retirement, um, was, he would visit us when we were in Arizona starting our church, and when they came and visited, they would make a donation to the church. They would give us, um, you know, just here, I'm gonna write you a check, and they were very generous throughout the years to help with the church and the startup of the ministry. No fanfare, nothing ever shared about that, just private giving. He died suddenly of a heart attack a few years ago, and uh, I went to do his, his funeral back in, in, in Michigan, and what shouldn't have surprised me, but what was just amazing to me was how many people continue to share how Wally had stepped in and help them in different times, in different seasons, just giving them, providing for them, helping them out in different ways. Never public fanfare, but at the end of the life kind of came out, here's somebody who understood this principle of giving in private and not trying to make a big deal of it. 
It was just so encouraging, and I remember, again, just people stepping around and doing that. And it says, and Jesus said, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. He says that in all three of these examples. God knows, God sees, God is involved. Your quiet acts of goodness that no one sees, celebrates, or rewards, God sees, God celebrates them, God rewards them, and that is a huge reward. Let me put it another way here. People reward the visibility and size of your generosity. God rewards the invisibility of your generosity and the size of your heart. Let that sink in for a moment. People reward the visibility and the size of your generosity, but God rewards the invisibility of your generosity and the size of your heart. Not the invisibility of the amount, by the way. <laughs> we don't want that to be invisible. That means you wouldn't give anything. Okay, that was a joke, never mind. <laughs> See, I shouldn't throw in stuff that's not in my notes. Um, but God rewards. He brings the blessing, he brings the peace, the satisfaction of knowing I'm a part of something that God is doing. I'm a part of helping somebody out. I'm doing it for the right reasons. I just, just, wanna, I just wanna honor God. He's blessed me, I wanna help somebody, I wanna do something with that. That's why we do that. And in the end, we have to recognize that public praise fades, but God's reward grows. Public praise is fleeting. It's there for a moment, it's gone, but the deep inner satisfaction, that grows. I think back a, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago, when we had our outdoor service, remember our outdoor service on the front lawn? Wasn't that awesome? That was a fun time coming back together, and it was such a beautiful day, and, and we had the bounce house out for the kids, great worship, and we had the food trucks that were out for afterward hanging around and, and just enjoying some time together. And when the service was over, I'm, I'm, I'm reminded everybody, you know, hey, don't forget, just stick around and enjoy the food trucks. And then somebody said to me, Mark, come here, whispered in my ear. It's like, oh. All right, awesome, I hope this is true. And if you remember, I said, well, I wanna, excited to let you know that um, all the food is provided at the food trucks. Enjoy some, you know, it's all taken care of for you today. That was a fun announcement for me to make, right? That was a fun announcement for me to make, and I really hoped it was true, what I heard, because otherwise we were gonna be <laughs> up, up the creek a little bit having to f cover all that, because it was not cheap. I didn't get up and tell you who it was that made, the, who made um, that available. No fanfare was made, no, no public recognition was held. I mean, wouldn't it be great if I would share with you who that was and that we could really just like give a huge round of applause, all of you would come up and you would thank them and you would say, that was so awesome, that was so kind of you, why wouldn't you do that? I mean, have people really acknowledged that generosity? I mean, you fed hundreds of people, thousands of dollars that day. I was able to thank that person individually a couple weeks later, actually, and even a couple of weeks later when I mentioned and said it, there was a smile on their face. And they said, you know, just that morning, it was so great to see the church back together, to see people worshiping, and just to create that environment. And I wondered if, you know, they wondered if some people maybe weren't gonna be able to stick around because they couldn't afford the food or weren't gonna do that. And so just wanted to really make that happen. And it just brought them such joy, even weeks later, that they did that and were able to do that. That's the reward. That's the blessing. It wasn't done for anyone else, but to just share in that moment, to be a part of what God is doing. And that was just such a cool example for me. Why do we give? What's our motive? Well, Jesus said, okay, that's one example. Let me give you just a couple more. I'll go through these a little bit quicker, but Jesus, just as importantly, says, look, that's one thing giving. Now let's talk about prayer. Verse five, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. Again, similar example as he's talking about the hypocrites. Who was praying publicly? Who was praying on street corners? Who was praying in the synagogues? It was the Pharisees. 
It was those that were trying to model and example what holiness and righteousness looked like following the letter of the law. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And now I look at this and I go, I don't think this is a big issue that we have to deal with in the church today. I don't think many of you right now are struggling with making big prayers and announcements and public worship or that you're on the street corners and I gotta pull you aside and kinda go, come on, I mean, is this really what you need to be doing? So I mean, is this even relevant for us today? But maybe, you know, it's time to, you know, it's time to pray somewhere and you feel pressure to pray. Maybe you're in a group and you're not comfortable and, and, and I'm seeing in the church, many people are not comfortable praying in public and I think we get all worried, like, am I saying the right things or if even in a small group or if I were to say to somebody, come on up, would you close us in prayer? You, ah, right? And maybe you'd get in that moment and you'd be like, okay, I'm in church now, I'm praying publicly. Um, um, our most gracious, heavenly, all, almighty Father who abides in the dwellings on most high, your omnipotence and omniscience and omnipresence are there to guide us. We, we think we have to get into some kind of religiosity. And now if those are terms that are natural to you and comfortable for you and that's how you worship God, by all means use those words. But sometimes we feel the pressure to pray in a certain way, did I get it all right? Did I have an introduction and a conclusion? Did I hit all the prayer requests? Did I say it just right? And sometimes I read these words, too, as, as a pastor and somebody who prays publicly and, and says, you know, what, check myself. Where, where am I standing? How am I praying? How are we doing these things? What's the point besides behind all of this? Jesus is addressing motive. He's saying, look, don't worry about other people and what you're doing publicly in those things. He says in verse six, but when you pray, Go away by yourself. Shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. Now this doesn't mean we don't have public prayer. We see public prayer throughout the Old Testament. We see it in, in the New Testament. We see groups praying together. This is not addressing that. This is addressing the motive of somebody who's praying publicly in a way, again, to virtue signal, I must be more holy because I can use these words or look how I pray to God. But he's getting at, no, no, no. This is for each of us, just go home Shut the door and pray honestly and sincerely. Use whatever words you have, however you can, can speak to God, you, you, you pray to him from the sincerity of your heart. This is where the idea of the prayer closet comes from. I literally once made a prayer closet at an office that we had at our, at our church uh, when I started our church. We had an office building, I took a closet and turned it into a prayer closet. You shut the door and you go in, there was literally a prayer closet but it's not about somebody seeing what you're doing and, and, and knowing God sees you. He knows the, the quiet prayers you have been praying for, for days and weeks and maybe even years. He knows the agony that you're in. He knows the pain and he's not looking for eloquent words. He's looking for sincerity. He's looking for sincerity in your heart in how you pray. You know, maybe you're, you're dealing with a tough situation or your spouse has been diagnosed with cancer and you just come to God, you, doesn't need a, you don't need a beautiful speech to say, hey God, I, I don't even know what to say to you, but my heart's heavy. My wife's, you know, my wife's been diagnosed with cancer, you know, you might say to God, it's just, I could really use your help. We need your healing, I don't know what to say. God, just help, my heart's heavy, please. That's an honest, it's a sincere prayer. It doesn't have to pass any tests, any grades of, of what language you use. God's saying just, I'm looking at your heart, I wanna know what's going on when nobody's looking. I have a couple of vivid images to me still as a, as a kid growing up and our, my grandpa, my dad's dad from Germany, he uh, was in his 90s, he would come and visit us for sometimes a few months at a time from Germany and we'd, I'd give up my room and he'd stay in my room and have my bed and all that kind of stuff and, 
And uh, I remember several times I'd walk in on him at night and he'd be kneeling and he'd, he'd, had, a, he'd had a crippled leg and was a crutch, but he would kneel down and fervently be praying, listing every child, every grandchild, every great-grandchild, every political issue, every issue in the world that he knew of, friends, family, he was just in fervent prayer, didn't do it for anybody. He was in his room with the door closed. I'd be like, oh, sorry, and I'd walk back out. He understood this principle. I've walked in on my dad doing that growing up. And it's impacting to see what goes on behind the scenes when it's just between them and God, not for anyone's show, and you happen to catch a glimpse like that to see what's happening. Verse seven, Jesus says, look, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again and again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And just praying some magical prayer over and over, over, over doesn't do it. God's saying that, 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 that doesn't matter. And you imagine again as a parent, your child coming to you and over and over and over, and I mean, in case that they wear you down, but you're saying, no, I, don't just say the magic phrase. You know, I said, please, I should get everything I want. No, I wanna hear your heart. <laughs> I wanna know what's going on. I, wanna, I want you to spend some time and tell me what's really going on. That's what God wants. He wants that time with us together. And then he shares the Lord's Prayer. And what is, I kind of find it interesting, what, what have we done with the Lord's Prayer? We've made it the prayer that we repeat over and over and over and over again. Now, I've used the Lord's Prayer, and I think there is power in praying that prayer together. But really, Jesus was just sharing, just, just for example. I mean, it's like, just, just for example, Lord, you know, hallowed be your name, like holy is your name, and give us this day our daily bread, and lead us not into temptation, right? He's just taking normal things in life, and we can study this, and at some point we'll study deeper some of the principles behind the Lord's Prayer. But it's a beautiful, simple prayer that Jesus says, look, that's, that's all you gotta do. I mean, that prayer is probably like 20 seconds. <laughs> if you just read it through and prayed it through, and he's saying this is how you should pray. He makes it easy for us because he wants, again, to know our motive. What's the heart behind what we do? And then he gives us one more example. And again, today, I don't know if many of us are struggling with this. I don't know, as the church and as, as disciples and Christians today, how many have fasted? How many of us have, have fasting, have done that regularly or once in a while, even know the power of what, means to, what it means to fast? To go without food for a period of time or to go without um, something that, that is sort of a, a pleasure or a joy in your life and you say, sort of say, I'm gonna do without this and I'm gonna focus that attention on God and in prayer and in devotion. But fasting in the basic sense meant going without food for a period of time to really seek an answer for God, to let him know that, that you're just trying to draw closer to him. You don't need the things of this world, not even food will satisfy you, but the word of God and presence with him. So Jesus now says in, in verse 16 to 18, and when you fast, again, not if, but when, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get, but when you fast, comb your hair and wash your face that no one will notice that you are fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. Yeah, it's one of these kind of shows of look, I'm holy or I'm fasting or I'm doing this thing before God or maybe it's like this spiritual martyrdom. Maybe it's like, you know, I serve so much in the church. I work so hard, woe is me. Like, no, do it with joy. Do what you do with a smile on your face. Don't let people, don't make it always a bit about this big burden that you carry about things. And when it comes to fasting, you're doing this privately before God, not for anyone else's benefit. I remember back when, when I was a youth pastor in my first church in, um, in, in Anderson, Indiana, South Meridian Church of God, the, uh, the piano player there was uh, Dr., Dr. Green, and uh, he was served much uh, in the church, um, played every Sunday morning in, in the worship team, great pianist, great doctor, and, 
And I remember, and I would play in the worship band once in a while, and I remember at one point going, Dr. Green's looking a little thinner these days. Like, is he exercising? What's going on? What's happening? And I, and I don't know, somebody said, I think, I think he's been fasting for like 40 days. Like, I, and I don't remember exactly what the length of time was, but it was one of those things where I was like, wait a second, you mean this, for the last month or so he's been doing this, but we've been having worship practices and rehearsals and mornings. I mean, nobody had any idea, you know, like that this is what was going on. It was just this idea, he was seeking God, and I don't know, hope I didn't ruin this now by sharing this publicly, but, but it, it spoke to me. It, it was something that, that actually was like, this wasn't done for anyone's accolade. This was not him sharing publicly in any way what was going on. But we see again what gets at the heart of the matter. So, what do we do with this? How do we handle these words of Jesus? What does it impact us? Well, I think we need to do a motive check. And the question that I would simply ask is this, would I still do this if no one would ever know? Whatever you're doing, whatever cause, whatever issue, whatever you're getting behind, whatever you're doing in the church or in work or wherever, what is it? If nobody would know this, would I still be involved and engaged in doing what I can. Maybe I'd phrase the question a little differently. Does your private practice back up your public persona? Does your private practice back up your public persona? Whether that's who you are as a follower of Christ, whether that's, again, causes you believe in things that you're behind, what we do as a disciple of Jesus, what is behind that? So I'm gonna give us a challenge based right off of these three pieces. Do one of these three if you wanna be super holy and tell us all about it next week. Wait, no, I can't do that. You can do all three. <laughs> so the challenge is give, pray, and fast. Give, pray, and fast. The first part here, give, and I want you to do this, anonymously bless someone this week. Can we do that? Anonymously bless someone this week. Now, whether that person knows or not, that's up to you, but we're not gonna tell anybody publicly, you know, you're gonna do that this week. Whether it's, you know, buying somebody a candy bar at a, at a grocery store, whether it's giving 100 bucks or 1,000, maybe 10,000, there's a need that you can meet, and you're gonna do that. You're just gonna do it because God's put it on your heart, you see the need, and you're gonna bless them. And the next Sunday, we're gonna come together and we're gonna share all the stories of the way that we bless people. No, <laughs> we're not gonna do that. Just between you and God, a chance to to do something and see God. And, and we, if you've ever done something like this, you know sometimes the second you begin to share it, you lose some of that reward, right? Do this personally, do it privately. The second is just pray. Get alone and pray. And maybe you use the Lord's Prayer every day this week as a way to really say, if this is how Jesus taught us to pray, I'm gonna lean into that. You close the door, maybe close the door to your car before you get to work, go in the garage, go somewhere. Close the door, shut the door, and pray. Just between you and God. Or the third, fast. Skip a meal. Maybe skip a meal every day. This, maybe skip lunch every day this week. Or maybe it's a 24-hour period. And here's the key. Smile. Okay? You're not going to go, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm fasting. <laughs> you know, it's just it's between me and God. And oh, so No. <laughs> I'm good. Pass on lunch or just avoid it. Yeah, whatever. Do one of those three things. And just allow God to be the reward. Allow the connection with your heavenly Father and what he wants to do in you to, to move in you. Because again, public praise fades, but God's reward grows. And I believe that if we as a church and as people and as followers of Christ can, can do the things that we do, to do lots of good, lots of justice in this world, but really begin with the pure motives. Let's say, God, I'm doing this because you've called me to do it. I wanna honor you with this. I wanna make a difference in that person's life. God, I wanna know you more. Then watch what happens together when we serve, because there are many opportunities for us to do good together as a whole and as a group. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for um, your word. 
that reminds us that things in the kingdom of God are different. God, that you really look at our heart, that you're wanting to see just the desire to, to honor you, to serve others, to grow closer to you. Help us, God, when we, our own ego gets in the way, our own pride, when it's just what we want other people to think about us. Father, help us to do things for the right reasons, not just today and this week, but always, and help us to grow closer to you in this. Thank you for your challenging words to us today. May we be people who give generously, who pray fervently, and who seek you through fasting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.